Welcome to the Rude Growth Podcast, Episode 2, brought to you in partnership with Cued Design. In today's episode, we chat with Ronnie Tejar, digital nomad, entrepreneur and startup, Ranzio Watches. We discuss how falling on hard times pushed him into going all in, resulting in Ronnie launching an international e-commerce business and his own branded watch collection. So we met each other in Bangkok in November. Yes. For the first time, but we didn't actually know what each other did for about three or four days. Well, that's the beauty, isn't it? And I still don't really know what you do besides the watch thing. So tell me what the other businesses are which you work on so in a nutshell. My main businesses are e-commerce businesses. I have a software business, so which spans about 29 countries. And I have this watch business, which is basically serves about about 30 countries, roughly. And what's the software business? The software business is just we are a store that resells different kinds of software. So it could be like a PDF editor, could be like a Microsoft Office, could be like a backup desk, could be like Snapdragon for voice. It could be anything, that any sort of software. So I, we carry about 2,500 different SKUs. And when did you start that? That was my first e-commerce foray. That was about five years ago. Five years, and that was your first business? Yeah. What were you doing before? I was working for another software business, which was not similar in any way to this one, but it essentially dealt with digital downloads. Yeah. So it was quite interesting to find out like how the whole digital download market worked. Yeah, that's where you got your experience. Exactly. And before that, I was working in Australia for an ad agency. And then before that, I was working for the big guys like HSBC and... England? No, not in England. (laughs) Not not everybody is a subject. Um, So why did you start your own business? Why did you leave that last company and then yourself? No, it was freedom. I remember walking in one day and... Is this in Australia? No, this was in Vancouver and I'd worked at this company for about a couple of years and I remember waking up on December the 1st, 2014 or 2015, I don't remember the year, and getting an email, not even a phone call from the guys I worked for saying, hey, we're having some cuts in the company, you don't need to come to the office anymore, just send us your passwords and that's it. What, in the morning? Yeah, at like, at like 8.30 in the morning and I was like, ah, oh, man, I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> like... It's like, it's like, I was like, what, what just happened? It was like, oh man, yeah, just send your password over the email. I was like, really? You're like, yeah, just tell us how much we owe you. Just send your, once you send your password, we'll just send you, you know, whatever we owe you. And that's, that's it. Good day to you, sir. And that's it. Bye-bye. So you just sent in, you finished that time. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was it. And and then I was like, you know, I was I looked around and I was like, holy hell, what do I do? Because it was, it was December and of course nobody works in December, <laughs> especially in Vancouver. And then I had a couple of job leads. I, actually, funny story, I actually went to interview with Shopify and I was supposed to be the digital marketing manager at Shopify. And so they flew me out to Toronto. Uh, you know, it's a testament to what Shopify is. It's a great company. They flew me out to Toronto, had my limousine pick me up. They took me to their offices, put me in a hotel for free for like three days. They really treated me really well. I didn't make the cut. True story. Uh-huh. But, you know, the best story is, is that it, from when I went to Shopify and the time that I visited them, it actually got my gears going. It's like, why can't I be my own entrepreneur? Yeah, you are interested in yeah. that stuff. Yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, our mutual fit, Kian. Well, that's a know. similar story to Kian, right? How he, yeah. how he got into it. Yeah, well. but, but we're roommates. Oh, and you were roommates as well. Yeah, we, we we were roommates in college when he started his business. 
So I've known that guy for about 12 years. So I looked at him and said, hold on a second. He is he was doing this. it already. He was already doing it. Okay. And he's in all these like funky places. And I was like, holy hell, dude. It's like, why can't, why can't we relive our roommate days? <laughs> Except <laughs> now we're we traveling try, together. Yeah, we can do it in different countries. <laughs> How long before did it happen to him Then it happened to you? Oh, quite a large gap, I think. For me, it was so from four years. So, uh, yeah, his business had already been running about five or six years by the time and I'd launched my own business. Oh, so that's a long time. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's got that learning, five or six years of learning ahead of me. Yeah. Which he's very open to sharing with, you know. Yeah. So then you lost your job? Yeah. And you decided to set up your own business? My own business, yeah. Because the one thing I knew was, I knew how, so here's a, here's a fun story. When I had worked, uh, the couple of times I had worked at the jobs before at this previous company, I actually was the guy who had got them to upgrade from a really old school website cms called miva i don't know it takes not many people would know miva but miva is like the og of like cms's and it was around in 1994 so they hadn't changed the cms in about 10 years and i said oh wait a second you don't need to use that so i was actually just upgrading them from that like magento and then another cms so i'd been through this process before so i actually knew how the whole process went but i was pretty i'm not a developer more of a my background in marketing. Yeah. So I know everything about digital marketing and online advertising. That's my strong suit. But, you know, when I started my own business, I knew how to throw traffic at my business. I knew how to sell my business. I knew how to sell my products. Yeah. But what I didn't, didn't know was how to set up the website infrastructure. And to find a developer in the field that I was looking for took me quite some time. When you wanted to set up your business, did you have capital to invest to start up? Were you had, having I lost had, the job? Had, were you starting had, from scratch? I had... I had Fifteen hundred dollars in the bank. Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to make rent next month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Over Christmas. Yeah, I didn't know how I was going to make rent. So the best stories are the stories where you're pushed into a corner. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and you know about this first. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 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 it's quite interesting in the sense that you have fifteen hundred dollars in your bank account, and I'm not making this shit up, man. Nobody's going to give me a job because, of course, I'm a loose cannon. And I'm very well aware of it, you know, quite yeah. the loudest guy in the room. Uh, or sorry, the quietest guy in the room. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just a matter of like, the question comes to you, it's like, do I really want to work for somebody and just do what I'm doing? So anyway, to make rent, got a contract job with a couple of people for January, February, and I started working on my business. But oh, as soon, yeah, I mean, you have to eat and you have to make rent because... I don't feel like being at the age of like, I think this is when I'm, I turned 29, right? Okay. I didn't want to take money from my parents. You can't really do that. I mean, my parents want to know, but still, I mean, yeah. you can't really be a burden to your parents at that age. I think when you're tied for money, though, it makes you very careful with what you're spending it on and investing it and making sure that it works out for your business. <laughs> no no such pro- luck with me. I was just spending a lot of beers. Let's <laughs> 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 be reinvest again. Oh, I don't think so. I was pretty good at financial management came a little later to me in life, I think. It's yeah. tough leading up to Christmas. There was before I launched my business. Interesting. Work started to run out a little bit because I was doing furniture fitting and they were self-employed. So they would just ring me up the week before and book me in for the following week. And work dried up leading right up to Christmas. So I was applying for like loads of jobs and one was to deliver coal 
<laughs> the people <laughs> use for fires and stuff. Chim chimney, chim chimney. Uh, to drive around and deliver coal, and it was. I went to the. Did I do a job? What, what year is this? What, what year, what year did, was this? When, did he also mine the coal as little children and then <laughs> no. deliver it to. It was just like we would pick it up in the lorry and we'd go deliver it. This was about eight years ago. So I went, I went to the offices, signed up for this job, and then he was like, right, you're going to start next week. I didn't start and it's leading up to Christmas and then he's like you're going to start next week and I messaged him and he said you'll start when it snows I was like what a prick we're leading right up to Christmas and <laughs> but then funny enough three years later he messaged me and said uh, I've got some work if you want it <laughs> and I was in Spain and I took a picture of a beach and I said it's not snowing here <laughs> man it was a shit job I had to do it Abby. that's what he said to me so he's got it three, three years later yeah three I must have just been on his book still like he was just going through all the names Oh, and he said, uh, that's so much you're back to here. It's like beautiful blue sky. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's that's a life I think that we ended up building for ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you when you think about it, it's quite interesting because you're pushed into a corner, you're not gonna make your rent. Both both situations are quite similar. Yeah. You you want your freedom, but you can't have that sovereign freedom that you're looking for, right? So what do you, what's the next best thing you can do is that you take a chance on yourself. It's not that you're taking a chance on the business or the niche. You're taking a chance on yourself. Yeah, you believe in yourself. Too. And, and so far, I don't know how your parents brought you up, but my parents, you know, being coming from an Asian background was everything is controlled since the time we were born. What, we, what our education system is, what we are to become. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a job, you stay at this company for like, you know, 25, 30 years, and that's the best. That's what he wants, stability, right? Yeah. I mean, my dad worked as a job for 30 years. Yeah, yeah that's quite old school thinking. That's yeah. how people do. That's how it was, not so much for my parents, but growing up, everyone around me is very working class. And yeah. it's very much, um, if you're trying to make money just by yourself, like, why aren't you getting a job yet? Why aren't you getting a proper job yet? Like, when are you going to get a career or whatever? They don't see it as um, you're going to build your own job, and your own career for you. Yeah, but nobody, nobody actually says, you know, take a chance on yourself. Oh, no. That's something that I, that, that I think is quite important. I think every, if you have a common thread between anybody who started their own company, I think that'd be it. It's like I stopped making other people money and I took a chance on myself yeah, to, do, to do the same thing. So when did you start that? You started that, what, three years ago, the software company? Four years. Four years ago. Yeah. And now you've moved into another e-commerce shop. Because when I was speaking about this before, I did the meetup conference thing in Barcelona and there was an e-commerce night where a bunch of guys showed up talking about their shops and I really want to have my own shop and they're not the only ones to say this to me in the past. They said, we would love to be in the service industry because having your own shop ties up so much cash, whereas in the service industry, you don't have that problem as such. And it's like a vice versa thing. People in the service industry like the idea of having an online shop and making that money from selling products. Whereas the people in e-commerce want to be selling services rather than physical products. The grass is always greener. Yeah, 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 exactly. So how are you finding it? You enjoy being in e-commerce? You you know what? I I enjoy, I love being in e-commerce. But the thing is, in e-commerce, the margins are quite thin. So you got to think about it this way, right? You have your own e-commerce business. Then you have... Whatever you're selling, whatever your niche is, you're going to have competition from Amazon. 
yeah. right? So Amazon is by far, it's like, let's say, let's call it the default of all e-commerce stores. So whatever you sell, Amazon probably carries it. Yeah. Or whatever you sell, your Chinese supplier is selling it on Amazon. So don't worry about it. The only way you're going to be successful as, a, as an e-commerce store is exactly what used to happen in retail, you know, 10 years ago, which was you had your own brand and people respect the brand and people love your brand and they want to just buy your brand, which, you know, you don't sell on Amazon. So they have a following and aspiration following for your brand. That's good cool. example is like movement watches or something like that. And people go, okay, hey, there's only available on the website, nowhere else. So I'll just go and buy from there. Do you think that's why that's happened? Those brands have popped up and that's like movement and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They've I mean, created their own brand rather yeah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal, right? It's like you look at Bailey Nelson, that's like a glasses, like a glasses brand, and okay. Ollie Quinn, similar glasses brand as well, which is kind of like in the same market. Yeah. Because yeah, they like expanded, they were just watches before, weren't they? Yeah, they're, 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 I mean, they do drop ship sunglasses, man. Those, those sunglasses the sunglasses are definitely not the highest quality, but okay. I think the, watch, the watches is what bought them in. So yeah. I think. I have, I don't know the guys too well, but from what I understand is they took chances on every platform and everything possible. Like they did Kali Jenna to do live Instagram videos with their watches. So they did lose money. Yeah. They've lost money a lot of times, but they tried everything. Yeah. Right. So they tried podcasting and podcasting worked for them. They tried Instagram and they tried influencer marketing when it was just coming out. That really worked out for them. So a lot of times in e-commerce, we just stick to what our bases are and we really don't like to explore outside the comfort zone. And I think, you know, hats off to some, some brands out there that are actually doing it. What's interesting when you look at, you know, when you look at e-commerce is like our margins, our margins are between 5 and 10%. You 5 know? and 10, that's really tight. Yeah. So now when you think about it from a service perspective, you're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yeah. But what we aim for is volumes, right? So I mean... If I just wanted to be in one country, it'd be okay. But now the only way I can increase my order volume would be to like expand as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that's where you go. But the thing is like coming back to your question, which in which you're asking, what side of the business is good? I mean, you can combine them, right? So a good example would be is we don't do it. But an example would be like a great upsell would be is like, oh, hey, you're buying this piece of software, whatever it is. Can I have your installation done? And the problem is I just don't want to do it out of the fact because... You know, Google cracks down on those kind of things. You don't want to be calling somebody's house and be like, oh, hey, and you have this accent on the other side, which is not really yeah. kosher. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say kosher. Okay. <laughs> don't want to point me. No ethnicity is mentioned here. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm Indian. Can I say if it's okay? If it's like, yeah. That's fine. Oh, oh, what I, it's a different jump, though, from you selling software and then going into watches. Why did you pick watches? Aspirational, man. It's like is, is that just like an interest for you? Yeah, so watches just... is an interest. Like, I, I, I don't know, funny story. I actually did movements, Facebook ads for about <laughs> about a few months and I saw these guys grow. Right, okay. And it was just one of those things where I said, okay, if these guys have become such a big brand and if I had started at the same time and invested in myself to do the... Yeah, similar to, to, to do a similar brand, it'd be interesting. I mean, between the start of my business and you know all this other thing, I I tried to have my own ad agency, which was like a service-based business. But I didn't like the service-based business because I was tied to my clients, and my clients they used to say jump, and my my ask was how high. Right. Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That's what you get. Yeah. So that's why you moved over to the physical product. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like. I can't remember. I bought my first movement watch maybe three years ago. Trader. 
<laughs> I didn't even I didn't even know you. Mm. So yeah, I bought it about three years ago, and I like their branding on Facebook. Yeah, it's probably coincided with Instagram really pushing on. Well, yeah, they, they experimented from that's, day one on yeah. their platform, and that's when you've got the other brands coming in as well. Mm. They do a similar thing and style, but it, like different bracelets, or you got people who are concentrating sunglasses, clothing lines, and the very niche. Yeah, a good, alternative. a good example of what a lot of people haven't tried it, like a platform like that, which I've been waiting to try out, is a platform called TikTok. I don't know if you know about this one. It It's grown from zero to about 280 million users yeah. in about a year and a half, two years. I saw it about three days ago for the first time. Really? Yeah, I don't know. There you go. So funny, know right? About it, it's it? like Vine. You remember Vine? Yeah. The Twitter startup which Facebook killed. Sure. Yeah, so it's 10 second videos that are basically funny and people doing like funny stuff. Ah. So most of its audiences are right now in China and India. It has really high pickup in Middle East and Africa. So it might be one of those things that actually just picks up in certain parts of the world. Yeah. But like it's definitely geared towards a really high pickup. That's I'll check that out. I'm interested in the watch business because... Do tell. No, not to sell products of watches, but because we are looking to work with CBD companies and e-commerce platforms. Mm-hmm. So I found it interesting about how you set up your own brand, created your own product, and how you're marketing that from scratch. I find that all really yeah. interesting because the CBD industry are going to find it a lot harder. They can't advertise on any social media platform. But like, what platform? But can you? But can you not do the line? There must be a grey area somewhere. Well, can you can you rank you can rank CBD organically on Google, correct? Oh yeah, on Google you can. Yeah. Maybe what about you be able to? Can you post about CBD on Facebook? No, and I don't even think you can. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I don't think you can have a Facebook group for a product or CBD. The ones what I've seen are support groups for CBD oil where they discuss the benefits and stuff. So it's not a business page for the product oil. It's a support page discussing the benefits. Well, so, so they're not able to market, even though it's not illegal. Well, that's quite complicated. I have I haven't worked in in a restrict. It sounds like gambling. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's in a restricted area at the moment because no one really wants to touch it. Yeah, but that's but that's what opportunity is, right? Because oh, yeah. what you want to see is you want to see if, how much you can toe the line, right? You, so you if, want to be at the starting blocks as well for when it is allowed to be. Yeah, you want to be ready for it. So, like you said, like the, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook groups example is a great idea. Yeah. So it's like, well, you can't advertise it on Facebook, but you can definitely create your own support group, quote unquote. Yeah. And then write people on there, which is quite interesting because people should be able to do that, right? Yeah, so it's, they're just they're, they're customers anyway, because they're pushed from when they buy. Products. What about e-commerce CMSs? Like, the, what is Shopify's take on it? Okay, yeah. So that's we've just done a blog post about this. Shopify are shutting down the CBD websites. So that's why we specialize in WordPress and WooCommerce, and they can't get shut down in that regard. Because it's open source? Yeah, completely. But Shopify is shutting them down, saying it's in a gray area, and... Well, that kinda, that's kind of sad. And the reason I say it's sad is because in Canada, weed and weed products are quite legal. So yeah. I don't know like what sort of a flag or torchbearer Shopify is for the Canadian e-commerce ecosystem. I if think it can't it's even just support a sort of avoiding the headache. Avoiding some sort of headache, yeah. don't it? But what platform are you using for your products? I use Shopify and I use Magento. And for Magento, I use Magento 2.3 with progressive web apps in the front with VJS. And that's for your software business? Yes. And then for the watches, watches is Shopify? Yes. And why do you use Shopify? 
Where do you shop it from? Is that just because you saw their offices? You're familiar with the product? No, I, it's just like, it's just I wanted to try it out. The thing with Magento is Magento is quite funky, right? So it's like I wanted all my developers and everybody else in terms of uh, resources. Magento takes up a lot of our time. Yeah. But in terms of Shopify, I literally had one person set it up, one person do the design, and it took another third person to launch it. Yeah. So I only have like two or three people that could actually run the whole web store yeah. for me. So it's very light on that on that perspective. I, I mean, it does. I used it for. Oh, you should you should try it. I mean, it's like in the sense that it's it's that's a good side, right? The apps they'll cost you a little bit extra. Blah blah blah. Same thing you'll do in WordPress or WooCommerce yeah. or Magento. But here's the kicker. If at any point of time Shopify decides <laughs> that your website is in violation of any agreement, and your competitors will usually send you will send a lot will blast Shopify a lot with a lot of emails and lawsuits and everything else, then you are taking that risk with Shopify because you're so dependent on their um, yeah. legal and compliance department, and they can shut you down at any point. That's the same with the CPD products. Yes. So like the good thing about WooCommerce or WordPress, something that you do is yeah. the fact that you could at any point in time handle that problem directly versus being dependent on third party to be able to handle yeah, it for you. Completely. Yeah. And moving on to you, when did you set up the watch company? What is the watch company called? It's called Brandzio. Brandzio. Yeah. Brandzio. B-R-A-N-Z-I-O.com. And when did you set it up? I set that up about a year ago. How's it going? What was your first step? So you've got you've got the brand and you've got manufacturing done. Yeah, manufacturing done. Manufactured where? Manufactured in Shenzhen. Okay, China. China. Yeah, assembled. Yeah, designed in Canada, assembled in Shenzhen, shipped back home, yeah. and then home being Vancouver, BC, where I'm from. But and then from there, it gets deployed everywhere around the world. What was the very first step when you you wanted to set up your watch company? Where did you start? I had to take my designer, this guy Victor all the credit to him because he was my first product designer. I had to throw him on the deep end because he was a designer and he was very uncomfortable designing watches or anything product related. So I had to like really, really push him to go and design these watches. And then I had to go attend some watch fairs and I had to look for like different sort of watch manufacturers and suppliers, go and meet them at different watch trade fairs. So from the time, like mine is an exception, from the time that I had the idea for a watch to the time that I actually got the watches in hand, that whole process took me a year. Yeah, that's kind of what I expect. Oh, uh, for for some, some but people, it when sucks, you speak man. Clients, it's like they, so long. Yeah, it does. You want to get on with it, and you want to launch it, but things take way longer than you expect. Yeah, like waiting for responses from people, changing your mind about stuff. But I think you like you saw one product or something, you thought, right, I can launch that. That's, yeah. that's what I want to use. I don't take two weeks, man. I was just going to take some. Initially, what I was going to do was I was going to take somebody. This is what Movement did when they started. Is like they took. DW's watches, they put their logo on it and they basically sold it as movement watches. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna do. But then I said, wait a second, like there's no there's no use of having a brand or a a watch company if you're not gonna be even be able to differentiate it in the market. Yeah, you're only devaluing Correct. the market because there's three of you that you're just gonna devalue all your products. Yes. So you sort all that out, you got the manufacturing done, a year later your products arrived at your door in Vancouver. Yeah. And then we opened them and before then, we'd already gone through like four Snapple runs. You know, for lack of a better word, I think the designer that we had at the time, he was really detail-oriented, which is a good thing for watches, right? You need somebody. <laughs> yeah, you need to make sure the numbers run Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was basically like he was really like nitpicky about little things, the cast of springs on the watches, the quality of the leather. the You know, and this is like an amazing thing that I would say that the team that worked on the watch, that watches was, like they were very 
into the details, which yeah. is the complete opposite of who I am. Yeah. Right. But it's good to have that. Watches came down to the door. I started advertising for them on Facebook, seeing how, how, how it goes. I mean, we're still in the process of learning and everything else. But like I said, I mean, the, the watch store is running itself. We're selling the watches. I mean, of course, sales could be better. But, yeah. you know, but for now, it's a brand that brands don't, are not built overnight. Yes, yeah, right? simply new company. Yeah. But it's like, so here's, here's, here's an interesting thing. When I run my e-commerce business, I don't know what, I want to I wanna hear your take on this. Mm. When I run my e-commerce businesses, my mentality is, that it's day one for my business, it's any business, right? Which means I only have a limited amount of cash flow in my account, yeah. right? I only have a limited amount of resources in my company and I can only do an X amount of things while I am running this company. Yeah. So that urgency that you have from the day one launch of your company to let's say year one yeah. is completely different. And I feel like what people forget is the mindset changes when you go from day one to year one. But if you are aggressive, well, I'd say that's the pedal. Yeah, I think that's why I'm, a lot of people think I'm quite, I'm quite uh, intense. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see, I can see what you mean. I haven't thought of it like like that before. But looking at my to do list, I do think long term that I want the business to grow. But I'm very intense within the next two week period of how much I want to do to build my business. So in that sense, it's like day one all the time. Yeah. Because every two weeks I'm adding stuff. I feel like I'm always behind with how much I've got to do in the next two weeks, just on my business, not on someone else's business, but just on my business. Looking at new marketing ways, new things to modify, everything's like day one. Yeah. In terms of that. Well, yeah. Then that's and that's what's important, right? Yeah. The same thing I think about expenses also, going out of your company, right? Which yeah. is like I mean that's that's the downfall of guys like uh, you know, Best Buy or in like business class. <laughs> Who? You flying? <laughs> well, well, well. That's that's because of my points. Were you doing that in day one as well? No, I'm never. Class no, no, to no. Asia, I took, please. I took, I took, I took business class to Asia. <laughs> I took business class to Asia. Actually, I took my business class. My first time I flew business class was from Melbourne, coming back to Hong Kong in two two years ago. Yeah, and I did that because it was Singapore Airlines, and they had a ticket on for a really dirty price for an upgrade. It was $500 to upgrade Canadian to upgrade on top of my ticket. And I said, okay, I'll take the $500. That was fine. Good. Not too often. Yeah. Running recently. Oh, yeah. So I kind of I kind of enjoy it, man. It's like, I don't know, man. It's the one time that I fly that I feel like, okay, I'm actually doing something in life that actually gives me a reward. Right? right? Yeah, I mean, I of course, people say... It's really nice. Yeah, I mean, but people, people go buy themselves suits. People go buy themselves nice shoes. People buy themselves, you know... Whatever they like to buy themselves. For me, it's the flying. It's that's a, your thing. That's, that's my thing. Train. Yeah. It gives me like that feeling of accomplishment about where I've come. And do you normally have to travel with people at all? Yeah. Do they fly business class with you? Yeah, they actually do. <laughs> Make sure they're sitting right up front. With you. <laughs> they, they are. Okay, that's good. Just making sure you're not like leaving them at the back. No, it doesn't happen that bad. That's good. <laughs> So you got your product and then you've launched your website? Yes. Launched your website and did you coordinate your marketing plan on any like social media? Because you're not going to get any organic reach on Google. From no, not from day one. Hell no, hell no. Well, just in, in general, I have. Google How image search, have? maybe. You can optimize for Google oh, image yeah, search okay. through Pinterest. You can optimize images on Pinterest, which yeah. is kind of interesting, right? Sure. 
Social media. That's an interesting topic that you got. social media. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when we're talking about social media, quote-unquote, planning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what do you think a social media guy does, guys? <laughs> um, good ones or just regular? What have you seen as a trend? I'd be interested in um, I have seen a lack of people look wanting to get into the, the nitty-gritty of social media advertising or marketing I find they like to do the easy part posting on the outskirts um, yeah so a bit like with SEO they like to do the research keyword research or market research whatever it is creating some content they love messing around with the content so SEO your on-site content social media like to mess around with your ad the content on that same with Google AdWords they always love messing around with your Google AdWords titles and descriptions. Everyone will do the same. And then they run the ads for a little bit and come up with some wishy-washy explanations for why it's kind of not working. That's interesting because I have a story for you. Yeah. So we had this person came to us and they said they used to work for Facebook. Uh, that's everyone's always. <laughs> yeah. And I used to work for Facebook. I used to run the ads for the largest brands in Yeah. In this country and I said okay well that's good you know trusting personality said okay you know knew, knew the guy and knew everything else I said okay well we can give you guys a go they spent $20,000 of my money <laughs> 20,000 yeah. US over a month and the results were appalling so it's for the watches yeah and when I say appalling it was basically like so the excuses I kind of heard were they were quite let's say in the least sense it was like quite disappointing because one thing was like oh the Facebook pixel takes time to optimize mm-hmm. How long does the Facebook pixel take to optimize? Well, the Facebook pixel should take, well, I read upon it, it takes about 27 days. Fair enough. Yeah, Well, but that doesn't mean you just throw money into a pit and just like, not just pause the ads. Yeah, that's a lot of, how much? It was 20,000 in how long? That's that's in in a month, in 30 days, man. Yeah. Yeah. The cost of the watch manufacturing that I had, my first run, it was less than what they spent on ads. Yeah. And it's quite upsetting in the sense so that... So 20,000 20, pounds, and how much is your average product? My average product's about $150. Yeah, that's madness. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. So that's my reservations with how many so-called social media gurus. How many SKUs do we have? How many, yeah, how many products for, did you sell in that first month? Uh, 100? 100. 100. Yeah. I mean, ROI was negative, man. Let me put it this way. Like, I, well, the company just was a money pit for the first, for the first month. It was like... And that's, and that's what we say is like, and I've fallen for this a few times. It's like, number one, don't trust these people who upsell themselves as social media gurus, right? Number two, any person who says they're a guru, unless they're a love guru, don't, don't trust them at all. <laughs> Why do you describe yourself? Oh, thanks. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't say I'm a love guru. I think with, um, when you're starting out with Facebook advertising or something, it's you definitely start with a lower budget and then work yourself the way up as you learn who you're targeting and that you'll get some success from it. I wouldn't dive into the deep end, chuck a bunch of money at it right from the off. No. I might build it up as you refine it. Well, that's how I built my first business was exactly that. Yeah. Trial and error. But trial and error, which cost me $100 a day. Yeah. yeah not, exactly. you know, not, not like $1,000 a day or $1,500 a day. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's a pain point. I, you know, we. What I would say is this. So that was the first month. That was in the first month. That was the fir- first month, and then how? 
today. Second month, we just cut our budgets. We scale our budgets back by fair, fair margin, like one to like a thousand, maybe like between one and five thousand yeah. dollars. And then we started seeing some uptake on the sales. And then the third month, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some uptake again in the sales. So now we're finally coming to like break even, which is a great thing, right? So it's like oh, now you. Yeah, fashion isn't easy, man. So, you know, it looked amazing. It looked easy on paper. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. It's not easy at all, man. It is uh, not friggin' easy uh, at all. It's especially like uh, the, the other thing that I hadn't like prepared myself mentally for returns, product returns. How many people return physical goods, man? Oh, yeah. And you got to handle that. Yeah. And we have to pay for that, too. So sometimes we just ask the person to just keep the product and be like, all right, just keep it. We'll just refund it. And the problem is like with guys like Amazon, right? Amazon customer service is considered to be the best but the problem is it's probably easy to be the best customer service when the product that they are selling is not yours it's a third-party merchant product and they just go oh wait a second if you need any refunds oh not my problem it's somebody else's oh we'll just refund it don't worry about it yeah so customers go oh we're used to this amazon mentality of getting to you know refunds immediately for whatever ask so you should be following the same rule too they're kind of influencing all the e-commerce platforms oh it is is. selling Um, and delivery yeah, Amazon does some things really well. The two-day delivery period, freaking phenomenal, man. Like that's like as a customer, love it. Uh, as a as a merchant, hate it. Like they've changed the mentality of all these things, right? Yeah, everything has to be super quick. Yeah, everything has to be now, now. It has to be right, you know, just immediate. So instant get. I mean, in Vancouver, we get. I mean, sure, like the UK, you get everything the same day in some cases. Some um, products. Yeah, I can't. They they make you sign up for Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, but like exactly. same day delivery, that's insane, man. That's amazing, right? You know what I mean? It's like you're spoiled. Also, because it's UK, it's quite small, but you yeah. know, same. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to get around. Yeah, but it, but in major Canadian cities, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, it's same day delivery, which is quite intense. That's pretty mad. But but having said that, it's like when you think about the long run, right? Amazon is playing out to be what a what a retailer is. They are kicking out their merchants. They have all the data from the third-party merchants. So if you're selling, a good example of it is, I had this forum discussion with a few guys in e-commerce field the other day, which was, they were trying to buy, somebody was trying to buy supplements. And when they tried to buy this particular brand, Lumi, I think Lumi is the name of the brand, and they tried to buy this particular brand of supplements, the recommended item which Amazon gives you was Amazon's in-house brand. Oh yeah, I heard someone talking about this before as well. Yeah, and it's not just happening in that category, it's happening in every category because Amazon has so much data on what's selling and what's not selling. I mean, an example of it is like uh, coffee, coffee beans in Canada. And they were selling, somebody was making like $20 a kilogram selling coffee in Canada. Amazon found out about it, they started selling it for like five bucks. Yeah, come out. That's kind of when Alibaba came on the scene and people were buying stuff and selling it on eBay. Yeah. And then, like the sellers on Alibaba got wise to it. Yeah. So they just cut out the people who were shipping it in and they started selling direct. Yeah. And they just oh. cut you out. It was the same price on both websites. It is. You're supposed to be buying. I mean, that's how, that's how Wish works. I don't know if you were to Wish.com. Similar, similar platform. Yeah. But Wish.com actually is a bit better than Amazon because there's no markups on there. It's actually directly shipped by a Chinese merchant. It's like Alibaba basically. You just wait for two weeks and you just get your product and it costs you like a buck 49 or whatever the hell it costs. Yeah. So it doesn't cost you 20 bucks like it does on Amazon. So, cust- so customers are becoming quite, they know what's going on. Like yeah. It's like saying, is dropshipping going to survive? I don't know, man. It's like, you're not going to make money dropshipping because customers know that they can just go to Alibaba and order the same bloody product. Yeah. No problem. So with the watches, how have you constructed your efforts for marketing? Is that solely being Facebook and Instagram ads? It's such a visual platform, right? So it has to be, it has, so believe it or not, YouTube, 
Big one, big so traffic you, driver. What are you doing on YouTube? Just a 15 second video ad about the watches. Oh, you're just doing ads on there, no, you're not doing any... No, um, nothing organic, no. Video testimonials we, or... No, we try to get into, reach out to a few influencers on YouTube. Yeah. And actually get them to review the watches. Yeah. But the thing is, at the end of the year, you have to pay for that too, right? The baby's bank for a buck is Instagram for now. Uh, from there, of course, I think YouTube would be the second biggest. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, believe it or not, not really good for us. And the reason why I say that is because the demographic that we have, which is, let's say, 25 to 40, yeah. 25 to 45, nobody is on Facebook, man. People yeah. are deleting Facebook off their phones. They're like dropping off. Yeah, they're dropping off. Facebook, data in the U.S. said Facebook actually started lost users in the U.S. So that's why Facebook is putting so much emphasis towards WhatsApp, so much emphasis towards Instagram. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's new announcement or whatever to make Facebook all private and, you know, encrypted, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if, I don't know. This is an interesting story. Do you, you know the story about Brian Atkinson, the guy who founded WhatsApp? Uh, no. So he left Facebook and he and he left about $900 million on the table with Facebook. Okay. And because of Facebook's privacy policies. Right. So it takes some guy to actually take a stand on th- these kind of things. Yeah. Than anything else. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, for an, from an advertising perspective, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love to have all the data. I love to know whatever you guys are doing and I love to do everything. But from a person perspective, it's like, should your phone be an open book for everybody to read? Like, I have access to your text messages, to your phone, to your WhatsApp messages, to everything. I mean, I, f- I kind of feel naked. I mean... I'm not too worried about everything like that. So you don't worry about being naked in front of people? Or what? Oh, no, that as well. But I just think, you know, people listening to everything, you're not going to be able to stop them. The, Ass, no one cares about me. It's like what we were talking about the other day, right? That London is probably the most highly served oh, yeah. city in the world. I'm interested to know... Yes. About the influencers. Did you approach influencers on YouTube? About yes. Pitch- and how much were they pitching? We were sending about 10 to 15 emails every day. Did you get any responses? Ah, uh, no. It, it, was, no. it was hard, man. It was like people, it's, uh, you it's know, hard to get in touch. it was hard to get in touch with people. And people, of course, thought very highly of themselves as influencers, which is, you know. Of course. Of course, you know, yeah. social media people. So. And have you had any success with Instagram? Have you uh, Instagram was much easier. Uh, For influencers well, or just advertising? As, yes, as influencers, because as we record this episode, we are in Bali, which is the, the, the ground zero of the yeah. world capital for influencers. Yeah. It's quite easy to actually get in touch with a lot of creatives here. Yeah, you just and have to walk into a cafe and that's like shout true. it out loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go to Create Cafe yeah. in Chengdu, shout it out at the top of your lungs, yeah, looking for... Yeah, <laughs> basically. Everybody's a bloody influencer. My food is Instagrammable, blah, blah, blah. So it's like... <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, so... so you've, had, you've had success? Yes. I think this week alone, while we've been in Uber, I believe we've had about like four different shoots going on in Bali. In so Chengdu, and I haven't even had to be there. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And we actually got to partner with like a few other watch brands, got connected with a few people who we can actually talk to, got partnered with an NGO where we wanted to donate about 10% of our total sales for the year, which is involved in beach cleanups. Right. And another NGO which actually sends improvised children to, to college to, for, and pays the tuition, which I think is phenomenal. I have a lot of love and give back for the community here. And then, you know, it seems like the right thing that we should be participating in because one of the pillars of our brand is giving back to the community so a few things when we started the brand one thing was that was near and dear to me was wildlife in africa you know all the elephants and rhinos are getting put so 10 percent of our proceeds go towards that 10 percent of our proceeds goes towards uh, the jane goodall foundation thank you for listening to the rude growth podcast 
make sure you subscribe and check back for episode 3.